Amen. Well, good morning, church. It is always a privilege to be able to stand before you and to give an understanding of what God has revealed to me over the past week of searching the scripture and wrestling with different things and different ideas and then to interpret it here this morning is always a humbling thing for me. Uh, another humbling thing is that when you're called to preach on resilience and your voice somehow gets attacked by every pollen piece and particle that the atmosphere has had. So if you'll bear with me this morning, I hope to have this quality of voice here for it out. But if not, I'm going to just pick and choose and ask the Holy Spirit to bring one of y'all up to finish my message, if that's so. So y'all better be praying hard for your pastor if you don't want to be up here. <clears throat> But uh, please do excuse uh, the raspiness. I'm not trying to do my best Joan Rivers impression by any means. But anyways, bad jokes. Start off good, good sermons, right? That's what they say. It was the summer of 1987 and on a consumer flight, one that was bound from Portland, Maine to Boston, Massachusetts, the pilot heard an unusual noise near the rear of the aircraft. Pilot Henry Dempsey turned the controls over to his co-pilot and as a good pilot would, went and searched for the sounds of the rattling and the bumps that he heard. Henry, after he had turned these controls over, he finally reached the tail section of the plane and the plane actually hit an air pocket, causing turbulence to happen and Dempsey was tossed against the rear door. About that same time, Dempsey quickly realized what the rattle and, and the bumps were for the rear door had not been latched very well, and he was quickly whisked away outside of the airplane as the door flew open. The red light on the control panel began to flash brightly, which indicated to the co-pilot, who soon and quickly understood that he was now the pilot, radioed to the nearest airport requesting permission for an emergency landing. He reported that Dempsey had fallen out of the plane and requested that the helicopter be dispensed to the area of the ocean in which they were flying over. After the plane had landed, the ground crew found an interesting addition to the outside of the plane, Henry Dempsey. Dempsey was holding on tight to an outdoor ladder of the aircraft. Somehow he had caught the ladder and managed to hold on for the 10 minutes it took for the 190 mile an hour plane to descend the 4,000 feet to the emergency landing that it made. Even more astonishingly, as the plane had approached its landing, Dempsey had kept his head from hitting the runway, which was a mere 12 inches away. According to news reports, it took several airport personnel more than a few minutes to try and ply that pilot's hand free from that ladder. See, Dempsey was treated for minor injuries and resumed piloting planes soon after the incident. It is a story of resilience. This brings us to the second Sunday of Lent, which Pastor Brad has already welcomed us to, and also week three of our study, growing up, reaching for spiritual maturity. Today, we'll be discussing what it looks like to be resilient in our faith. Let us pray. Father God, man, you're amazing. You are so good to us. God, you have woken everyone up this morning to gather here in this place of worship that we're able to unite in one breath and proclaim your goodness together. 
God, we ask that you would give us resilience. Lord, we know that life gets tough, that there are bumps along the way. And sometimes we feel like we've been sucked out of an aircraft. But God, you give us the power and ability to hold on. And so God, we ask for that today. As we search your scripture, as we go deep together, we ask that you would open our ears and our hearts that we might be able to receive something good from you. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Miriam Webster, anybody read any of their, their work? I'll take that as a yes. Miriam Webster, of course, writes the dictionary and Miriam Webster defines resilience as this, the capability of a strained body to recover its size and shape after deformation caused especially by compressive stress. The number two definition, as some words in the English language have more than one meaning, is an ability to recover from or adjust easily to misfortune or change. Those are the definitions of resilience that Merriam-Webster makes. I think Henry Dempsey would define it as holding on for dear life. Amen. I'm from Georgia. I got to remind y'all, when I say amen, I expect it to be said back to me as proud as you possibly can. So amen. amen. Thank you. Thank you. That helps me. For two summers in my early 20s, I worked for a friend's uncle who built walls for the Walmart Corporation. In the heat of the hot Atlanta sun, I found out that I was able to do a lot more than I ever thought possible. When I asked Uncle Jimmy what I needed to start my laborer position with him, on all the masonry work I would do that summer, he said, son, you need three things. You need good gloves, you need steel-toed boots, and you're gonna need resilience. I will offer the same advice to us today. See, we, as we lean into what God has for us as Timberlake, we're going to suffer trials and tests. We're gonna need endurance, we're gonna need resilience. We will need to prepare for those things that will cause us trials. We're gonna need to put on some good gloves. So I ask you, go and get some good gloves today. Amen. Also, we're gonna need to lace up those steel toe boots because I tell you, I might just step on some toes this morning. Amen. And thirdly, we need to understand that we need to be able to bounce back from the pressure and recover from the misfortunes that we will meet upon the pathway of building God's kingdom together. Amen. Awesome. So as we start to look at our scriptures, we'll be turning to the book of James. The vast majority of scholars agree that the author of James was the half-brother of Jesus. James became the leader of the church of Jerusalem in some years after Pentecost, he was also known by the nickname of James the Just or James the Righteous. See, James was well known in this nickname because of the practices of holiness that he held to. So word got back to James and the difficulties that the church was encountering in different places, the trials from without. And as often it happens in such things, conflicts from within. See, some members of the Christian church at that time were lapsing into a superficial form of religion that professed godly beliefs, but practiced selfish, ungodly lifestyles. 
In a pastor's voice, you can hear James write to these Christians to make the point, true faith proves itself practically by godly living. He develops several themes throughout this letter to the church. And the main point that James makes in all of it is that true biblical faith works. So let us look to one of our passages of scripture today, like I said, in James 1, verses 2 through 4. You can turn with me in your Bible or a pew Bible in front of you, or you can follow along with this on the screen. James 1, 2 through 4, it says this, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The word of God, for us, the people of God, Thanks be to God. I want to go through some thoughts today on what it looks like to have joy and what maturity looks like for us to follow Jesus. First, let us look at some signs of immaturity that we might look at. The number one sign of maturity is settling for less than God's best for us. For anyone to really want, for anyone to really want to experience change in their life, they have to adopt a mindset of holy dissatisfaction holy dissatisfaction with the good enough attitude of the world. I'll say that one more time. For anyone to really want to experience change in their life, they have to adopt a mindset of holy dissatisfaction with the good enough attitude of this world. Status quo is not the way of God's kingdom. If we want it to see the dream of God come to full fruit here at Timberlake, we must be people who are only satisfied in the best not in the mediocre. Many people aim at nothing and they hit it every time. Friends, we have a target here at Timberlake. That target is excellence. We know that all things in this finite and fallen world started out good and now because of sin are going terribly bad. Things do not change without effort anymore. In James, we see, he says this, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encourage various trials. When we consider something, we have to consider what the word consider says. Amen? So now we're gonna be considering what consider says in this verse. Following? Thanks for the laughter. But when we consider something, we call to our ability to reason, to think. We do not lean into trials with our feelings or our emotions first. Mature people do not allow for emotions to dictate their actions. Mature people do not allow for emotions to dictate their actions. Mature Christians plan for the trials that they will endure through the wisdom found in reading of scripture, through the humility found in prayer, the power found through fasting, the strength in silence, and so on. We have a name for these things. They're called disciplines. Anyone can come and participate in our worship As Pastor Brad said, we want to set a low bar. Anybody is welcome in this place. God welcomes all all of our brothers and sisters to come and worship together. That should be a very low bar. But there should be a very high bar for those who are seeking to become leaders in the church. See, anyone can participate, but however, we should want excellence, godly excellence, and demand that excellence from those that God calls to lead us. Hebrews 13, seven says this, 
Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. Imagine that. We must imitate the faith of those who are called to lead us. So we must put people in leadership that are worth imitating, amen? So if you're called to lead, you're also called to have followers. This is why leaders should be those seeking to unify everyone under the direction of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Those who lead others to form comfortable circles that tickle ears rather than build up spirits are those who are risking leading their followers to hell rather than to Jesus. See, loving my children is a challenge at some point to rise up to the task of the excellence of love, right? And it's a lot easier to hand my kid some technology and to pacify them for a few minutes rather than to put a, hand, a book in their hand and forcing them to learn scripture. And yes, I do force them to do things as a parent. See, sometimes they don't even want to come to church, but guess what? They don't have a choice in that. It's a non-negotiable for me because godly excellence is not as beautifully crafted on the sports field or in the band room or any other place like it is here at church. Their excellence on the sports field or anywhere else is secondary to their spiritual formation, period. A number two sign of spiritual immaturity is wanting a quick fix. Wanting a quick fix. Matthew 7, 24 through 27 says this in the NIV. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. To build the best house does not mean you only use the best materials. To build the best house, you have to have the right plans made by the best architects. You have to have the best contractors to find the best builders, plumbers, electricians, the best landscapers, even after the house has been built and the last of the best furniture has been placed by those who are the best design teams, you still have to have the best maintenance team to keep that place in tip-top shape. In this passage from Matthew's gospel, we see that the wise person is only wise because they have listened to Jesus and put that which they have heard into action. None of us are able to be considered the best on our own. Apart from God, we can gain everything the world has to offer and we still can lose the most important part, our soul. However, in God, we are made wise due to our faith being founded in the bedrock of God's word. We become master craftsmen able to meet the task of building the kingdom of God through the power of the Holy Spirit under God's sovereign will. Too many in our day want to have the trials we endure to be over in a moment. Listen to me, Pastor Matt is not ascribing to some idea that we should be tortured, nor am I saying we should pray for bad things to happen to us. I am saying that when we face trials, because we will, that we should understand that we are being worked on to produce resilience of our faith. 
when we endure trials, we're able to turn one of two ways, toward Jesus or away from Jesus. We live in a society that seeks convenience over just about all other things. If you're looking to find convenience in your walk with Jesus, you pick the wrong person to follow for it is not convenient to follow Jesus. However, if you're desiring to become holy and to lead others into holiness in Christ, you found the right God. As we walk out in pursuit of our mission to reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus, we must realize that resilience and perseverance needed to endure these trials and to achieve the task ahead of us. A number three way of immaturity that I've seen is being inflexible. You remember the work gloves? I hope you have your steel-toed shoes on right now. Everybody got them on? James 3.17 says this, but the wisdom from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. We tend to be rigid in our ways of being, not open to change. I have heard many times that the music in such and such service is to this or to that. I have heard that people have been unwilling to worship with others due to the lighting or other atmosphere presented. The beauty in offering different styles of services is found in our ability to reach out to different cultures with the same gospel message of grace and hope found in Jesus alone. We see that wisdom is pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, fruitful, unwavering, and without hypocrisy. It is a sign of immaturity to refuse to be in worship for a cosmetic reason. We must be willing to enter into uncomfortable spaces in order to offer Jesus to others. When we choose to be absent, we choose not to offer what we have, personally what we have to those who might need our presence to journey further in their walk with God. How would it be to walk into heaven and realize that we choose, chose not to offer ourselves in community because the color of the carpet was not of our approval? In missions and in my time of missions, we found ourselves always in the place of having to be flexible. If you weren't flexible, you would get broken pretty quickly. In the food, the music, the language, comforts, all things were thrown out the window so that we could accomplish the mission. Christian maturity looks like laying down preference and being rigid on the gospel. Joy is looking past the current circumstance and focusing on the glory yet to be revealed. Again, joy is looking past the current circumstance and focusing on the glory yet to be revealed. Hebrews 12, one through two says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the greatest leader of all time. We see here in Hebrews that Jesus looked past the temporary pain of the cross for the future joy of sitting down by the right side of the Father. As we discussed, we should follow great leaders. So too should we see those trials as temporary light afflictions. 
as they measure up to the future, future glory that we shall inherit one day. If we aspire to do great things for God, we must gain the understanding that life is less about what happens to us and more about how we deal with what happens to us. I will conclude with a tale of two track meets. That's right, a tale of two track meets. The first video is of U.S. runner Morgan Euseni during the 1,500-meter final in the 2012 London Olympics. Let us watch this together. The final meters, and out the gun will win it. And Balut, her Turkish teammate, finishes second as runners from Turkey run one, two. Morgan Euseni in tears in the first turn for the second year in a row at the World Championships last year. And here in the Olympics, she has fallen on the final lap. Tom, hard to see as Morgan Euseni was running in traffic, poised to make a move with one lap to go. But it looks as if her left foot is clipped by the knee or foot of Aragawi. And down she went, crashing to the track. There you see Aragawi in the green behind her. Just a step on the back left foot of Morgan Euseni. Such horrible misfortune at two global championships. Heartbreak. Now, in the 2008 Big Ten Indoor Track Championships during the women's 600-meter run, runner Heather Dornadin does something different than Morgan Usensi. Let's watch this. Dornadin running second. Dornadin last year scored 23 points for the Golden Gophers in their Big Ten Championship. So they're really relying on getting a lot of points from her this weekend. And she's just coming by Fondor now in the home stretch, heading into the bell lap. Dornadin falling down gets up quickly, but that's going to cost her. Lucky she wasn't injured. Her teammate just went to the front, though, so they may be able to recover from that. And Dornadin is flying down the back she stretch. Is she catching is catching up. She is going to catch Fondor, and she may catch the leader. Wow. Well, she's got one. This is a gutsy effort by Dornadin. That is amazing. To, to fall in a 600, I mean, this is basically a sprint. I mean, this is an extended 400, basically. To, to fall with 200 meters to go and get up and win, that is unbelievable. Unbelievable. That's one of the most exciting I've seen. Here's the fall. Oh, she trips on Fawn's shoe. It looked like Fawn just clipped her heel, and she went down just before the bell lap. Fawn Dora had to fight hurdler to avoid a collision. And she is powering down this home stretch, just doing everything she can to win this heat. Crazy. So as we look at the tail of those two track meets, we can see a difference. I don't know if you caught the subtlety, but when, when Morgan was running, she was looking at the runners that were around her. I don't know if you caught that. You can go back on YouTube and watch and see that Pastor Matt's not lying to you. Also, if you looked at Heather, where was she focused? 
on the finish line. She had a laser focus for what she knew she needed to get to. Another thing that happened was that they both fell down. There was a difference though, right? One instantly recognized that they needed to get back up if they were gonna do something. And they didn't look, she didn't, Heather did not look toward the other runners. She did not sit there and look and see the, the defeat that was you know, inevitable. She focused on the finish line. This was just one of the heats. She could have pulled back and still gone on running that day. But no, she focused on the finish line because she knew the goal that she had prepared for. See, Heather Dornadin chose to rise above the trial she faced and got back up. Morgan Euseni chose to stay down in her anger and her rage and never accomplish the task she trained so hard for. Both athletes spent years of their lives training for these races. Both were peak physical condition. Heather got up and accomplished crossing the finish line. Heather's joy was found in her resilience. Morgan sat down in her circumstance and never even finished her race. Sisters and brothers, we have a race set for us. Each and every one of us has our part to run in it. We need you. I want you to hear that. God has a specific part. If you're sitting in here today, I don't care if this is your first time or you've been coming here for 20 plus years, God has a purpose for you at Timberlake. Realize that purpose. If we wish to complete that race, we need to set our eyes on the goal. Will you choose this day to do as Jesus did? Lay down your comfort, lay down your preferences, and lay down your life to achieve the goal God has set before us? Or will you stay in the place of self and gain nothing but a house built on sand? Lord, we say thank you for today. And we ask your tender mercy upon us. As we come to your table, we ask that we would prepare our hearts for the race that you have for us. God, this is a sign that we all participate in with the one loaf and the shared cup of your great mercy. You've made us a great team, a family together. Allow us to partake in this now in the understanding of the goodness that it produces for us to sustain in our faith and be nourished by its meal. In Jesus' name, amen.